happy Father's Day uh, to all you dads out there. I have missed you guys. Uh, I've been out the last three weeks. Um, I am now a father of two. Uh, I had my daughter Ivy uh, three weeks ago today. Uh, we already have our son Dex. So that's my that's my girl there. Yeah, I agree. And then um, this is a picture of my son Dex, and he's three. And uh, it's weird to say that I'm a dad of two, but they are a great blessing. Mom and baby are good. want to thank you all for your encouragement, your prayers, your, your text messages. It means a lot to us, and you guys just might get to meet her um, this next week. Uh, it's great to be back. I'll be teaching here the next three weeks. And uh, as we gear up kind of towards the end of the summer where we're kind of in a transition, some of you guys know this, some of you don't, but we're launching a new church in September called Prodigal Church. And uh, July 30th will be my last Sunday here. And uh, my family and I are going to take that n next step of faith in planning Prodigal Church. But I'll be here every single Sunday until we leave. And so we're excited about the next five, six weeks here as we transition. Um, and you guys are in great hands here with Pastor Ken. Today, we celebrate all the men in our lives, whether you are a dad or not. And uh, I, I, I want to help some of the women here in our church this morning by um, kind of giving a men's thesaurus here. So men don't always meet, say what they mean. And so allow me to translate some, some phrases that men often use so that you can understand fully what we mean. Here's the first one. When a man says it would take too long to explain, he means I have no idea how it works. Okay? When a man says, uh-huh, sure, honey, yes, dear, he means absolutely nothing. It's a conditioned response. Okay? I shouldn't even be telling you this. Um, when a man says it's a guy thing, that there's no rational thought pattern connected with this, and you have no chance of making it logical. When a man says I can't find it, he means, it didn't fall into my outstretched hand, so I'm completely clueless. When a man says, you look terrific, he means, oh, please don't try on one more outfit. We're late, and I'm starving. <laughs> and finally, when a man says, I'm not lost, I know exactly where we are, he means, no one will ever see us alive again. <laughs> uh, we thank God for all the men in our lives, and uh, we are so excited to be together this Father's Day. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 says this. We're going to camp out here. It says, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. Now, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and the Greek phrase for be courageous here is literally be men. Be men. The Greek word is andrizomai, and it means to make a man or to, ma to make brave, to show oneself to be a man or to be brave. Uh, listen, men, the men in our country need to wake up. Uh, the world needs us today more than ever. Our world needs us to be godly men. Your wives need you to be a godly man. Your kids need you to be a godly father. The church needs you to be a godly man. Your business needs you to be a godly man. Your community and your nation needs you to be a godly man. Uh, if you reach men, you reach the whole family. And it's amazing to see so many young men in our church. I don't really consider myself a young man anymore. I'm 36, um, and, but uh, I don't feel like a young man. Um, but often, young men in our country kind of postpone growing up. You'll hear phrases like, well, when I'm 18, then I'll get serious. Then I'll, then I'll get real. I'll grow up. And then when 18 arrives, they'll say, well, when I'm 21, then I'll grow up. And then 40 is the new 30. Uh, 
and we just postpone growing up, becoming the men that God has called us to be. The top buyers of video games, uh, specifically Call of Duty, is men between the ages of 24 and 32. Okay? Guys, that's not growing up. That's extended adolescence. (laughs) Okay? We need to grow up to be the men God has called us to be. And this passage in 1 Corinthians 16 offers us all several things that we can apply to our lives today, whether you're a man or a woman or you're single or married or whether you're a mother or a father. The first thing Paul says is this. It's on your notes. Be on guard. Be on guard. That's what the passage says. It says, be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. When I was a kid, we used to pretend sword fight all the time. Okay, some of you have kids. This is a great pastime. We used to use all kinds of stuff, sticks, um, baseball, wiffle bats, you know, we would do sword fights, fun noodles in the pool. It's summertime. You'd fight each other. And every time when you want to begin a fight, you would use the phrase, on guard. And you would get in the stance, ready to go. I didn't know what that meant. It's actually a French phrase um, uh, in fencing. And it's used as a direct call to, for fencers to assume the prescribed position preparatory for action. On guard. Uh, And there are many things in our context today, there are lots of things that we need to be on guard about. Um, But in our context, we need to be on guard against not being fully present at home. See, uh, sometimes there's times I'm hanging out with my kid, Dex, and uh, he's three, and we're playing, and I'm just kind of scrolling through Twitter or looking at my fantasy football team or scrolling through Bleacher Report and finding out the latest transactions. I'm doing these kinds of things, and he's like, Dad, 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 put your phone down. And I'm like, you sound like your mom, son. Uh, And even when he was two, he knew there's a difference between when Dad is focused in on him and playing with him and when Dad is disconnected, when I'm not fully there. I'm present, I'm just not fully there. He knew the difference at a very early age. A recent NBC poll discovered that by the time the average child is six years old in America, he or she will have spent more time watching TV than they will spending with their fathers during their entire lives. Another study said, indicated that the average dad spends 38 seconds a day talking to his children. 38 seconds a day talking to your children. Have you ever found yourself at home being present, but not fully there. Maybe you come home from work, and your mind is still at work, and you're almost zombie-like. You're going through the motions. It's in times like this where the Spirit of the Lord says, on guard. Be ready. Be attentive. Fully listening. God wakes us up to be fully present with our families, to be fully there when we're home, Fully listening, fully engaged with our spouse, fully intent on what is happening around you in that moment. Uh, When we're there, we're not present, it shows itself kind of in all kinds of stupid ways. Um, Sometimes it goes like this. You're laying down at wife in bed with your spouse, and she might say something like, I had a terrible day at work. And you say something dumb, like, well, why don't you quit? And she says, I don't want to quit. I was just trying to tell you I had a hard day. And then you say, well, if you don't want my opinion, you shouldn't have asked. And she says, just forget I said anything. And you say, I will. Jesus wakes us up and says, on guard. Be attentive. 
be ready. That's not the way of love. Jesus shows us a better way. The second thing Paul says is this, stand firm in the faith. Be on guard, stand firm in the faith. Now, standing firm in the faith is an affirmation of who you are. Who we are in Christ keeps us from sinking. When we get laid off, when we lose a loved one, when our kids are misbehaving at school, and you're just like, I don't know what to do. We stand firm by knowing who we are in Jesus. When the bills are too high to pay, and you get it, and you're just like, God, I'm sinking. Know who we are in Christ. Because who we are in Christ isn't based upon our outward circumstances. It's not even based upon how good we are. This, last night, I was at my house, and I get a text message from a buddy, and he's like, hey, are you home? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, hey, can I come over? And we're getting ready to kind of lay the kids down. And I'm like, yeah, dude, come on over. And so he comes over, and Dex loves when friends come over. Uh, he likes to show off. He likes to play with them. And he likes to show his new dance moves. He does this new dance move. It's called one side, other side. And he goes like this. We go, show one side, other side. And he's really focused, and he loves it. He's great at it. So my friend comes over. He's feeling down. He wants to talk through some stuff. And Dex goes like this. And we're like, that's good, son. Go inside. And so we're talking, and we're hanging out. And, uh, and, uh, uh, and, and Dex is, the guy's kind of pouring out his heart. He's wrestling through this situation. And um, I'm trying to kind of pour into him and hear what God might want to speak to him. And Dex kind of keeps trying to, like, talk to him. And I'm like, son, here's my phone, okay? Go sit over there. And so then he opens up, like, this Bible app on my phone, and it has, like, Jesus cartoons and stuff. And so he's, like, looking through it, and I'm talking to it. And my buddy says this. He says, John, where is God in the midst of this? Where is God? And immediately my son runs onto his lap and shows him and says, look, it's Jesus on a cross, and shoves it in his face. It was this amazing moment where God is in the middle. Where is God in the middle of this? Well, there's this three-year-old who shows him. He is with you in the midst of your suffering. He is not the God who is distant. He's the one who suffers alongside you and loves you and died on the cross for you. If Jesus can overcome sin and death, I told this guy, I'm fairly confident he can overcome the situation in your life now. It was amazing. George Foreman never grew up knowing his father. When he got married, he ended up having several children, four of which were boys. And you know what he did for his, his five kids? Uh, he named them all George Foreman. <laughs> um, here's a picture of them right here. Uh, they're all named George. His daughter is Georgette, just so you guys know. He said he never wanted his kids to wonder who their daddy was. He understood the value of a father figure. Now, we too have been given a name child of God, son or daughter of the king, your royalty. Don't forget who you are. Stand firm. Even when you mess up, the enemy will come in and whisper to you who you aren't. But the spirit of the living God shouts even louder who you are. God's not interested in who you aren't. He wants to tell you who you are. You're an overcomer. Some of you guys have been beating yourselves up over who you aren't. That, that's not interesting. God's not interested in that. You're an overcomer, the word says. You're a child of God. You are deeply and irrevocably loved by the divine, the maker of heaven and earth. 
Find your identity there in the midst of your struggle. Stand firm in the faith. Number three, be strong and courageous. Be courageous and strong. It says be on God, be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. For the early readers, when they would read this phrase, be strong and courageous, they would immediately think back to Joshua and the Israelites. See, they, they left Egypt and from, they were in slavery, left Egypt, and walk out and live in the wilderness for 40 years. God tells them, you're going to go to the promised land, and Joshua's going to lead you there. But they've been wandering in this hot desert for 40 years, wondering, God, we're not in slavery yet. We're not slavery anymore, but we're certainly not at the promised land, and it's hot, and it's uncomfortable, and God is forming his people in the wilderness. And some of you, even right now, feel like you're in the wilderness. You might be out of slavery, but you are yet to be at the promised land. You feel like you're in this hot desert. And God leads us in the midst of that. And right as they get to the cusp of the promised land, God speaks to Joshua as he's ready to take over the land. And he says these words, be strong and courageous. He actually says it four times in the very first chapter of Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Chapter 1, verse 7 says this, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. When the early audience would read this passage of Scripture, and it says, be strong and be courageous, they would go back to Joshua. They would go back to the cusp of the promised land, leaving slavery and the wilderness and going to where God promised. Now, uh, my dad led our family from Illinois to Fresno, California, in 1989, okay? Illinois, it wasn't slavery, okay? Um, and Fresno is no promised land. It's felt pretty good the last month, and then this weekend, man, it kind of feels like the desert of Sinai. Uh, Fresno has its pluses, but it's not a promised land. But my parents felt strongly that this was the best move for my family and I, uh, for my brother, my twin brother, my older sister, that they were going to pick up and leave everything they knew at home and go to Fresno, California. They demonstrated this, be strong and courageous. It took that for them. Numerous times they have told me, since I became an adult, that they wanted to go back, but because we were doing so good, they sacrificed us. They sacrificed their own desires for the benefit of us. My dad uh, was in the family business back home in Illinois. He was an electrician. His, his brother was an electrician. Um, his dad was an electrician. Basically, all of his family was an electrician. So that's what he did back there. But he always had this dream. I want to be a cop. So he came to California, left everything he, he knew, and in his mid-30s, goes into the police academy. And he becomes a cop. And he retired a few years ago. What courage. What a step of faith. Is there something maybe you feel that God might be calling you towards that, and the Lord is saying to you in this moment, be strong, be courageous. What does it take? What, what might the Spirit of the living God be calling you towards right now in this moment, in this place, June 18th, 2017? And dads are special. I read some powerful quotes about dads this week. Um, one author said this, there are three stages of a man's life. He believes in Santa Claus, he doesn't believe in Santa Claus, and he is Santa Claus. <laughs> Some of you old guys, tip the hat to you. I'll get there soon. Hopefully not. Um, 
Mark Twain said this, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. Another powerful quote, this was by Mufasa, the Lion King. Remember who you are and where you came from. Mufasa, ooh, beautiful. Love the Lion King. There's a story told, an ancient fable within the Jewish tradition. Uh, It was back in the ancient world where men were allowed to have many wives. And a middle-aged man had one wife that was old and one wife that was young. Each loved him very much and desired to see him much like herself. And he wanted to please them both so desperately that he catered to their every whim. Now the man's hair was turning gray, which the young wife did not like, as it made her, him look too old to be her husband. And so every night she used to, when she combed his hair, she would pick out all the white ones. But the elder wife saw her husband growing gray with great pleasure. She didn't like to be mistaken for his mom. And so every morning she used to arrange his hair and pick out all the black ones as she could. The consequence was the man found himself entirely bald. And the moral is fairly obvious, right? You give to all, and soon you will have nothing to give. How much better is it to remain true to Jesus Christ? If you give to Jesus everything, he takes care of the rest. Don't give everything to your job. Don't give everything to your marriage. Give everything to Christ, and he gives you everything in marriage. Give your business to the Lord. Don't give give your best to him. If you give your best to him, he'll give it back with so much more. When we put everything infinitely second behind Jesus, he sends us back into the world as better versions of ourselves. The best gift we can give this world is to abandon it for Jesus so he can send us back into the world to love it like Jesus. Number four, do everything with love. Corinthians, here we go again. Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. Manhood and Christ-likeness are synonymous. Read the Sermon on the Mount. It's not about being this strong, I'm the guy, listen to me, uh, boss people around. No, it's meekness, it's humility, it's love, it's sacrifice. Manliness, manhood, and Christ-likeness are synonymous. You want to know what it looks like to be a man? Look to Jesus. Philippians 2 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. In our family lives, value your spouse more than yourself. Value your kids more than yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In his book, Jesus Among Other Gods, Rabbi Zacharias tells a story about a girl who became hopelessly lost in the dark woods. And she called and she screamed, but to no avail. Her alarmed parents got a group of volunteers as they canvassed the forest to try and find her, but to no avail. When darkness fell, they called it a night. Early the next morning, the girl's father re-entered the forest in search for his daughter. And he found her sound asleep on this rock. So he called her name and he ran towards her. And she startled awake. She threw her arms around him and she said, Daddy, I found you. Daddy, I found you. 
beautiful. That's us in the Lord. God pursues us. Even in our mess of life, even when we screw up, even when we fail, even when we react in a way with our spouse that we shouldn't react, even when we don't uh, treat our kids the way we should, even when we yell, even when we get angry, even when we mess up, God pursues us. Uh, Romans tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still a mess, not when you got it all together, not when you, you know, had your Sunday best and you showed up at church holding hands, singing hallelujah all the way into church. No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 3, 1 says this. This is a beautiful passage. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Now, the Greek structure of this phrase, it's like multiple exclamation points, okay? It's like bold print. It's see, but it's in neon, okay? There's an emphasis here. See, see what great love the Father has lavished upon us that we might be called children of God. It's highlighted. God's not like the other gods of the ancient world that demanded sacrifices for appeasement. And you never know where you stood with these gods. These gods would get angry with all of us, horrible people, and so we had to appease these gods. That's not like our God. No, see what great love the Father has lavished upon us all. That we might be called children of God. I invite um, Nathan and the band up, and I'll close with this story. Uh, I got married 10 years ago, um, and uh, my brother got married a year and a half before me. And I remember we were getting ready for my brother's wedding, and uh, uh, all the kind of groomsmen and the pastor and everybody started getting ready to go. And, and there was this moment with my dad and my brother left in this room, and my dad hugged my brother and told him how proud he was of him. And, like, we all cried. Like, my dad, tough police guy, like, doesn't do that. But it was this powerful, overwhelming moment. And a year and a half later, um, I'm getting married. And uh, my wife was the boss. Like, I told, babe, you do whatever you want for the wedding. Like, it's all yours. Your day. You've been thinking about this a long time. I haven't. Uh, I love you. But this is your day, whatever you want. But I have one request. When they pronounce us husband and wife, Okay, and they say, kiss the bride, and then they say, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. and Mrs. John Richardson, I, I want to pick the song. And she goes, okay, fine. And she goes, what song? And I go, the Top Gun anthem. You know the guitar solo? That's what I want. Okay, I grew up with Top Gun, and Tom Cruise opening up that cockpit, holding his helmet up in that jam, that solo guitar playing like he was a hero. I want to feel like that when I say I do. And she goes, fine. So we meet with the DJ, and I talk to him, and I'm like, I want Top Gun Anthem. And he goes, okay, I got it. I go, no, no, no. I don't want, like, you know, playing with the boys, the volleyball song. I don't want Highway to the Danger Zone. I want the Top Gun Anthem. He goes, dude, I got it. I got it. So this is like months, late, months earlier. So the day of the wedding shows up. It's about 20 minutes before the wedding. And I go up to the DJ. I have my brother go up to the DJ. My brother was my best man. So hey, go to the DJ. Make sure he's got the jam. So he goes up and the DJ goes, yeah, I got it. And he turns it up real quick. And it's highway to the danger zone. Which is like not what you want to say like to your wife. Uh, 
when you say I do. Um, and so my brother says, listen, buddy, you, he said the anthem. He wants the anthem, so I'm freaking out. Pete goes up to me, and he goes, I think I might have it in my car. And so we're scrambling, and it's like five minutes before the wedding, and I'm freaking out about this song, let alone pledging my love and fidelity to another person for the rest of my life. And they're going, John, couple minutes. And I'm like, where's my dad? I'm hoping and praying for a moment like my brother had a year and a half before. So I go to the bathroom, and I wash my hands. I put some you know, water on my face. I look in the mirror, and I hear the door close behind me. And me and my dad look at each other, and he just gives me this big hug. And I'm worried about everything. I'm worried about being able to provide. I'm worried about the kind of husband I'm supposed to be and the eventual father I'm supposed to be. And I'm worried about the Top Gun anthem. And here comes my dad, and we just, as soon as we look at each other, we lose it, and he hugs me, and he says, John, I've done a lot of wrong things in my life, but I'm so proud of you. I'll never forget it. When you're worried, when you're worried about bills, when you're worried about your struggles, when you're worried about your marriage, when you're worried about your kids, when you're worried about the most menial things, sometimes we just need our Father's embrace. Sometimes we just need to run into the arms of our Father who loves us, who has called us according to His purposes, who has good plans for us. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we would run into Your loving arms, that no matter where we are on our spiritual journey, God, that we would run to You, that it's about You. It's not about rules and regulations. It's not about um, anything but knowing You. Jesus, you tell us in your word that eternal life is this, that they may know me. So God, I pray that we just start eternal life right now. All up in our lives, God, that we have eternity running through us, God. That we begin that abundant life that you promised here now. And it starts with a life-giving relationship with the living God who helps us through our worries, who helps us through our struggles, all of our concerns, who, who suffered for us. God, I thank you that when we're worried about all of our suffering, that it, you can show us your love through a three-year-old boy showing a picture of Jesus on the cross, insisting that we look. That's where he is. That's where God is, loving us and forgiving his enemies with his last dying breath. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here in this place and you never responded to the grace of God, You've never ran into the arms of your loving Father. If that's you this morning, we want to give you an opportunity to do so, to meet this Jesus, and not just gain eternal life when you die, but it, gain eternal life here now. If that's you this morning, you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, would you be bold enough to just raise your hand? You can just put it up and put it down. We want to have someone encourage you, introduce you to your Savior. Right on. And secondly, if you're in this place and you feel the Spirit of God saying, be fully present when you're home. Be fully there when you're at lunch with someone across the table. Treat them as infinitely valuable. If that's you and God is renewing that desire in your heart, I pray that you would make that decision. God, I pray that you would help us to be strong and courageous. You pray, I pray that you would help us to stand firm in the faith that when the world is telling us everything that we aren't, that we sit in the arms of our loving Father and you tell us who we are. We're loved, dearly loved, 
Look, see. 